Hello, everyone. Welcome to Grave Stories. Thank you for listening and or watching the episode today. I just wanted to state at the top of the episode that I tested out a new microphone in this episode, a wireless shirt mic, so I could film the visual episode for YouTube, and I will not be using it again. It doesn't sound great. So what I will be doing in the future is I'll just be, for filming episodes, I will be using my stream setup with my Elgato microphone and OBS, so it will be much easier and look a lot and sound a lot better. So uh, just bear with me for this episode if you don't mind, and uh, the next ones will sound really good. Thank you very much. Hello, my name is Nathan Barnett, former gravedigger from spooky old New England, and you're listening to Grave Stories. Unless you're watching the new video podcast on YouTube. That's right. It's now a video podcast as well as an audio podcast. You can listen on Spotify and Apple and all their places it's on. Or you can now watch it on YouTube. If I keep doing this, we'll see how it goes. It's kind of a bit of a pain, but we're going to try it out. I'm also using a new wireless microphone. You might be able to see the light here. Uh, I don't think the audio is as good as how I used to do it, but this is kind of fun to do this setup, and this is probably the best audio I can get using this camera. So here you go. I'll try it out. If people are into it, give it a like. It'll let me know if you like it, and I'll do more of them. Uh, so this is... Pro probably going to be a weird edit though that's the thing so when i'm reading these uh anyone who's not watching right now uh it'll be fine for you if you're listening to this on spotify or wherever else it'll sound pretty close to the same thing um because you won't notice all the edits i'm making so when i do this podcast <coughs> i normally mess up uh a lot and i mess up like what i say and i edit it out and i fix the audio so it sounds like one concise little sentence and everything's tidy and you'd never know but now that you're watching you're gonna see probably a lot of cuts because every time i mess up it's gonna be a cut and it's gonna it might be jumpy so that's another thing this might be only a one-time thing because if i mess up a lot it's gonna be so many cuts it's gonna be so jarring and people aren't gonna want to look at it Unless you don't really care. Uh, we'll find out how this is going to go. This might be a trial, so we'll see. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> testing uh, right now. So what we're going to do this uh, episode is we're going to uh, read from a book. The books I've been reading. This book is titled It Was a Dark and Creepy Night, written by Joshua P. Warren. These are real-life encounters with the strange, mysterious, and downright terrifying uh, with Andrea Sarkopal. Here is the title of the book. Here is the cover. Um, I like reading from real-life accounts and real stories from real people, not uh, fiction. I'm not really into creepy pastas or anything like that. I like uh, reading things that happened so as far as we know uh, hearing this sto stories from real people is kind of more exciting for me so what i'm going to do is i think i've i've probably read a bunch of these in this book i've read a bunch of these but i don't know if the ones i'm going to read i've read but they're so quick it might not really matter and if you've already heard it it'll be over like pretty soon so i think i'm just going to start from the beginning so when i continue to do this it won't i won't be in, i won't be jumping around and going wait did i read this one 
Otherwise, I have to like start checking them off. But if I just start this book and go all the way through, we'll get the whole thing done. Uh, so you might hear a couple stories uh, twice uh, if you've already listened in the past. If you're new, great, doesn't matter. So these are like a page long um, little accounts, uh, and they're kind of fun. So we'll probably get a ton of stories in on this episode. Uh, we'll take some commercial breaks uh, like we normally do, and uh, we'll just see what we get when we finish this. It might be a disaster, but thanks for tuning in and checking it out. So why don't we begin after a commercial break? I gotta take a break. I wanna play in the rain and take a break. Seven up so cool and clear. Yeah, it feels as good as the rain is out here. Gotta take a break. I wanna play in the rain and take a break. It's coming down. Now you could win a year's worth of free travel on United Airlines. Plus $25,000. Look for the 7-Up Play All Day game. Welcome back, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the ad. There might be visuals now. I don't know what I'm going to do in the edit, but you might have, you might see the actual commercials this time. <laughs> I don't remember if I have audio files or if I'm using video files because I've been doing audio podcasts this whole time and I've had an MP3 I've been working off of with these old commercials. So I might have to find some new ones. Anyway, enjoy whatever you just saw and or heard. Uh, and now let's get into it. This uh, first story from It Was a Dark and Creepy Night from Joshua P. Warren uh, is a story t- uh, titled The Butcher Knife in the bath- Bathtub. Uh, and this is an account from a man named Thomas Glenn Kelly, who was a wholesaler and uh, lived in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and this took place in 1997. In 1997, my girlfriend and I rented a huge, beautiful old duplex in South Minneapolis. My girlfriend worked the night shift, 10 p.m. to 7 a.m. I would go to bed just after she left for work and would wake me up in the morning when she returned. One morning, she woke me up and asked me why there was a butcher knife in the bathtub. I told her I had no idea, and we laughed it off. A few weeks later, she woke me up and asked me why the bone cutters were in the bathtub. Again, we laughed it off as the kitchen was adjacent to the bathroom, and the butcher block knife holder was in the counter just outside the bathroom. A month or so later, a similar thing happened. My girlfriend asked me why the bone cutters were in the bathroom sink. This odd occurrence continued throughout the three years we lived in the duplex, a total of probably ten times. Somehow, in the night, kitchen cutlery ended up in the bathtub or the bathroom sink, once in the toilet. Toward the end of our time there, twice, the butcher knife was laying at the foot of our bed. Oh, that's spooky. <laughs> uh, during the last weekend in the duplex, we threw a party and invited the downstairs tenants. There were a couple who had lived in the building for years, and during the course of conversation and drinks, the subject of our landlord came up. We both went white when they informed us that in 1968, our landlord's mother had committed suicide in our unit. It was in the tub with a butcher knife. Oh my god. That's sad and horrifying. So the skeptic in me instantly goes, that seems perfectly written. Like, this seems like formulated. <laughs> like, getting all this information for a big reveal. And they found out right before they left. Like, 
it almost feels fake. <laughs> I'm such a skeptic at times, but I'm also like a super believer. If you've been listening to this podcast, you know I'm like, oh my god, this is crazy. But that one is too perfect. <laughs> like, what's, I don't know, maybe, you never know. You never know. I'll believe it just for safety. Just so the ghost doesn't get mad and show up here and says, you don't believe me. All right, the next story is titled The Crash. This is from Barbara J. McNay, a retired engineering administrator, Cupertino, California, 1972. One morning at 5.30 a.m., I dreamt that the guy I was dating was in a terrible plane crash. In the dream, he was killed. My mom and sister came to break the news to me, and I was crying. I woke from the dream very anxious and depressed, as he was actually on a business trip to New York. Later that day, I called him, but before I could say anything, he said, I'm glad you called. I was getting ready to call you. He proceeded to tell me he had flown to Pennsylvania that morning and had been in a plane crash. Whoa. He had been sitting next to the wing, and it had caught on fire. As the plane went down, he was holding onto his rosary beads and thinking about me. Uh, The pilot landed safely in a field, and no one was seriously injured. This accident happened at precisely 7.30 a.m., and there is a three-hour time difference between California and the East Coast. This means I dreamt about my boyfriend in the crash just as he was experiencing it. Oh, that's cool. She was having like a window into reality or a, a psychic dream. There's a picture here. I don't know if you can see it. It's a drawing of a dude in a plane holding a rosary, hoping for the best as the wing is on fire. That's pretty cool. I like stories like that because it's not just like ghosts. It's like different, weird, strange occurrences. I think there's a lot going on in the universe and I think people, I think psychic abilities are possible. I like to think that because like what the hell else are we supposed to do with our brains? That would make sense. I think levitation and teleportation and psychic abilities, like seeing, seeing somewhere else in the world is possible. Like using matter because we're technically part of the ether and we're all like our flesh and our brains and all that are the same thing as the oxygen in the air. So is there some way that we can hop on to another eyeball or something out there and have it the information from that be sent to our brains sure why not that's the way i like to think i think everything is connected where it's almost like tapping into a phone line you plug into the telephone pole and you can listen to someone's call i think that's what being psychic is it's like you're using your brain to connect to the wi-fi of the universe and see something that's happening in another place and possibly that's what dreams are. I don't know. It sounds cool. <laughs> That's what I like to believe in. Okay, the next story is called The Phantom Photographer. This is from Chase Wesley Jensen, a student in Montrose, Colorado, 2011. I bought a Kodak digital camera from Walmart and was unhappy with the clicking sound that I heard coming from it when I first went to use it. I decided to return the camera and chose a new one of the same brand from the same store. When I returned home, I inserted batteries and proceeded to turn it on. I couldn't believe what I saw, as there in front of my eyes was a photograph of myself from the neck down already in the camera. 
What? I knew it was me as I was wearing the same shirt as in the photo. There was no way a store employee could have taken this photo as the camera was never removed from the box until I got home. Additionally, I couldn't have taken the photo of myself by accident as the perspective was from a distance and I couldn't have taken such a photo on my own. I hadn't adjusted any of the settings so there was no way I had inadvertently turned on a self-timer. I was so amazed that I told my mom and she couldn't believe it either. It was definitely one of the creepiest things I've ever encountered. That story's amazing. I mean, like, I'm trying to think, like, how did they just hand him back the same camera that he returned? And they, like, shrink-wrapped it real quick? I mean, probably not. Possibly, unless, like, he seems like he grabbed the camera, though. That's a cool story. I like that one a lot. Hopefully, we get some more like that. That's pretty unique. This next story is called Hollywood Hobo. Corliss Sinclair, CNA, in a healthcare center. That's their job. Uh, this is Los Angeles, California, 1984. Oh, I was three years old at the time. In 1984, I moved to Hollywood from Connecticut with my boyfriend, Glenn. That's like me, from Milford, Massachusetts. She did it 30 years before me. No, 80, 90. 20 years before me. 22 years. Anyway, <laughs> we lived in North Hollywood, and being very close to Hollywood, we would often walk into town. From North Hollywood? They'd walk to Hollywood? Where the heck? That's a long walk. Alright, sure. They'd take Ventura over the hill? I'm trying to figure out how where they would have walked. I mean, I guess, also in the 80s, did you ever hear the song, Nobody Walks in L.A.? I mean, I did, but no one else did. Alright, doesn't matter. Moving on. We lived in North Hollywood, and being very close to Hollywood, we would often walk into town. One afternoon, we were heading toward Vine Street, and passed many recessed storefronts as we went. The construction of all these storefronts was similar. A tiled front floor with a door to enter, recessed away, in with display windows on each side. As we passed one business, I noticed a tall, dark-skinned man leaning inside the entryway. He was facing out and looking down the street toward us as we came walking up to Vine Street. I looked directly into his face and noticed his appearance. He was dressed in rumpled clothing, was unshaven, with a slight beard, and had long hair, and was very tall. Underneath all of that hobo clothing was a nice-looking young man around 30 years old. He had a serious gaze as he returned my glance. We walked up a few more recessed doorways, and there was he, there he was again, the same young hobo man. I found it rather startling, but I said nothing to Glenn about it. We walked up and passed many more recessed businesses, and in yet in another doorway, in the same position, there he was again. Each time our eyes met, it was the same man, with the same serious gaze. By the third time, my own gaze became a stare. That was it. I didn't see him again. I know he couldn't have run up past us as the sidewalks were very busy with pedestrian traffic, and I would have seen him. Why did he show himself to me? 
Did he want to spook some young woman he didn't know? To this day, I do not understand how this could have happened, and I wonder if I had simply been looking at a ghost with nothing better to do on a Saturday afternoon. <laughs> yeah, man, if you're stuck in the, the ether or purgatory, you probably get bored and you just mess around. That's cool. I don't know what the heck, how to explain that one. I always want to be like, all right, let's get to the bottom of that. Think about it real quick. You'll solve it. She could have been, I don't know, super tired. Cool story. Interesting. Different. I like it. This next one is titled The Segment in the Sky. These are all true, mind you. These are all real people telling real things that have happened to them. This is William B. Francis, a systems engineer in optical recognition. Deerfield, Tennessee, 1998. I was out on the front lawn around twilight. I was looking just above the barely visible tree line and towards southeast. At that time, I saw a brilliant green rectangular bar appear in the sky. At first, I thought it was a green laser, but the amount of power that would have been required to have it appear as it did was huge. I held my arm out and attempted to gauge size and perspective. The bar was about two fingers wide at arm's length, and it appeared very deep on all sides. I felt a crackling sound in the air. The whole episode lasted approximately 30 seconds. If it wasn't a laser that created the segment in the sky, where could that shaft of green light have come from? It was one of the truly vivid unexplained experiences I've had in my life. Hmm, that's weird. I never heard something like that. It's almost like an aurora borealis, but straight. What year is that? 98? Like, what the heck could that have been? A sniper? That's weird. Someone might have been trying to kill the dude and he had horrible aim. That's crazy. Aliens. Gotta be aliens. Don't want to say it's aliens, but aliens. <laughs> this next one is titled, It Wasn't UFOs That Scared Him. Oh, baby, it was what was inside. Nita Anderson, Hiltner, retired newspaper reporter, Yucca Valley, California, late 1970s. My sister and brother-in-law moved to Yucca Valley in the late 1970s. The area was known for UFO sightings and was a place people swore UFOs landed all the time. But it wasn't UFOs that scared my brother-in-law one night while he worked as a meter reader. It was dark and my brother-in-law, Chris, was driving down Old Women Springs Road. Previously, late one night, my sister had seen an old woman walk through their living room into a wall in a house on the same road. Chris was on his way home in the company truck when he saw a white mist forming ahead and it enveloped the truck. Then it faded away except for his side of the truck. He looked to his left and through the window and saw the ghostly face of an old woman. He screamed and stepped on the gas and drove as fast as he could. The thing stayed with the truck no matter how fast he drove. He stopped and jumped out of the truck. There was nothing around. He got home and told my sister to never tell anyone about his experience, as he was scared people would think he was crazy. Fast forward a couple months. Chris and my sister had friends over to their house one day, and the friends departed after dark. A half hour later, they got a phone call from them saying they had experienced the apparition themselves. What? Ooh, that's awesome. Dude, something's definitely going on. I've heard that. I heard that, like, ghosts are, like, 
it can turn into gas and mist because that's like I don't know part of the science of them and how maybe how they exist in this dimension they turn to a gas or it's we humans with bad eyeballs see a fog or gas shapes and just assume it's a human because we think everything which we assign a shape and a thought to things and we relate try to relate it to ourselves therefore we see a human because we just want it to be ghosts or whatever we try to just relate it to us and what else would you see besides another human? I don't know. I like to think it's real, but mm, I'm a real smart person, I think, practically. That's how you solve, out, how, solve what's really going on around here. All right, this one is called Her Last Gift, Mary Hominuk, a crisis worker from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. This is 1999, the year I graduated. In 1993, my older sister committed suicide. A few years before her death, she had given me a tiny birthstone ring for my birthday. I greatly cherished this ring and was heartbroken when I lost it during a move. It was one of the last gifts she had given me, and I searched everywhere for it. I truly mourned the loss of that ring. The years passed, and I moved once more into the home I now live in. In 1999, my husband, son, and I were walking to the car, which was parked in front of the house. Something glittery on the ground caught my eye. I reached down and picked up a dirt-caked ring, the very birthstone ring I had lost years ago. My sister gave me one more gift. Oh, that's cool. I'm glad she found it. That's, that's a sad story, but also kind of nice. I like that one. All right, we're going to read one more, and then we're going to take a commercial break. This is titled Road Rush. Gary Chun, Pest Control, Pontotoc, Mississippi, 1987. Layton, David, and myself were returning home one night. We were all 17 years old and had just dropped twin sisters off at home in Pontotoc, Mississippi, near the Pontotoc and Lee County lines, just outside of Tepelo. David and I were dating the twins, and Layton was always the third wheel on these double plus one dates. We drank a lot back then, but not this particular night, as we had been with the twins and their dad would have killed us. We dropped the twins off by their 11 p.m. curfew that night, then headed back to the house. We took a back road that we traveled all the time that was just a couple miles from where I lived. One of the guys asked me to stop on the road so that he could relieve himself, and the other agreed that he needed to do the same. The road was gravel-topped and lined with trees and fences on both sides. When I stopped the car, it appeared as if the car was suspended off the road just a tad. It seemed as if the road kept passing underneath us, and I could see the trees, grass, and fence posts passing by equivalently on each side of the car. It appeared as if I was still driving on the road at about 30 miles per hour, which is the normal driving speed on this road. I knew the car was really stopped because I had the brake all the way down to the floor and was no longer guiding the wheel. When my friends asked me why I wasn't stopping, I knew they were seeing the same thing. I told them that I had stopped the car. To prove it, I turned on the car's interior light and showed them that I was standing on the brake and not holding the steering wheel. David Layton and I were so frightened I lifted my foot from the brake and this time floored the gas. About a quarter mile down the road we bravely stopped to see if the same thing would happen again. It did not. 
I turned the car around and went back to the original spot. And the same thing happened exactly as it had before. Oh man, I have super goosebumps right now. As soon as he said we turned around, I was like, oh no, what's he doing? <gasps> this is crazy. I think I've read this one in a previous episode. Well, dang, this one's amazing. I don't really remember this. It sounds familiar. Frightened again, I took off very fast and went home. The experience was much like being dizzy, but instead of things twisting around us, they rushed past and underneath us. Inside the car, everything seemed very normal, just as everything had been a normal weekend night for us up to that point. I often wonder if we had stayed to see what might have happened next, if we might have been carried into another dimension. Oh my gosh, I think you were like going through a portal. I think that was like the beginning of some strange time travel or something. Throughout the years, we all have gone back to the same spot several times just to see if this would happen again, and it never has. Yeah, it was like the right time, the right place in the universe, the dimensions were crossing, something was very unique was going on, and they happened to be there. That sounds amazing. I love that. What a weird thing. That's called Road Rush, and that's uh, for a guy named Gary Chun, who worked in pest control in Pontotoc, Mississippi, 1987. All the cool stuff happened in the 70s and 80s. That's when all the good spooky movies came out with like a cool weird phenomenon. That's that's a good story. Wow, that one's awesome. That's a good time to take a break. Now we're gonna go listen to a message from our sponsor. I gotta take a break. I wanna play in the rain and take a break. Setting up so free travel on United Airlines, plus $25,000. Look for the 7-Up Play All Day game. Welcome back, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that ad from our sponsor. That's not paying me anything, but I'm taking advantage of their ad and making a dollar off of it in this podcast. So, thank you for listening. I like playing the old commercials. I love old commercials, so I hope you do too. Now, we're continuing on with this book, the book titled It Was a Dark and Creepy Night by Joshua P. Warren. This next story is called, I say story, it's not a story, this next tale, this next, what the heck is the word I always use? Uh, uh, account. This next real, definitely actual life account is called No 25th Birthday. Uh, this is from Barbara J. McNay, a retired engineering administrator, Prescott, Arizona, 1972. In high school, I had a crush on a guy in my neighborhood named Gary. He told me that he knew, somehow, that he would die before his 25th birthday. I told him he was crazy. He went to Vietnam and came back safely. I said, see, your prediction didn't come true. He still insisted that he knew he would die before his 25th birthday. Meanwhile, I moved out of state and we lost touch, but one day, several years later, my mom called me to tell me Gary had died in a construction accident. It was two weeks before his 25th birthday. Oh my gosh. And that's it. That's the whole story. Wow, that's sad and dark. That's crazy. I, um, I wanted to say before it was over, I was thinking, well, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. You say something so much, you sort of like will it to happen. 
by subconsciously like doing things that would then put you in a situation where you might die or accidentally something happens and you're not really trying to stop it in a weird way not that you're controlling it or wanting it to happen but like i feel like if you say something enough eventually it's going to happen because you're sort of leading yourself down that path without really knowing it but it seems like it wasn't maybe a complete freak accident unless he's like oh no i used the nail gun the wrong way oops <laughs> you never know but that's sad and uh i feel bad for him the next one is titled energy being so this is different so anyone who's listening to this i should let you know that this is not normally i don't do sto stories this many short stories it's normally like four longer tales from individuals um but i wanted to do i wanted to read from this book because i haven't read all of these and i figured i'll just go straight through it um so yeah and I also think the shorter stories I'll mess up less because the longer I'm like reading straight, the more I mess up because I, my brain starts to get tired. Uh, so this is maybe a little easier. But the next episode will probably be, I'll do four stories, two in the beginning and two uh, in the end. Uh, split it up like that. So uh, that being said, let's continue with these short stories. This is titled Energy Being from Reba Duncan. Who is retired this is in myra loma california mira loma sorry california 1992 it was my first night in our new home alone i was writing in the living room and my pen ran out of ink i turned on the hall light went down the hall to the bedroom and got a pen and returned to the living room i realized i needed more paper so i immediately went back to my bedroom only this time, I did not turn any lights on. Upon reaching the doorway to my room, I saw what I now describe as an energy being standing just outside my bathroom next to the sliding doors that went outside. He had his arms held high toward the sky as if basking in the energy from the moon. Oh, it sounds like my brother Seth. Uh, this is a very Chefid. My brother Seth is like we call him Chefid. This is a very Chefid activity. He always talked about the moon's energy and he likes to absorb it at night. <laughs> the energy being seemed to be the Chefid. He was my brother. This is my brother, lady. He's probably naked too, running around the woods. The energy being seemed to be deriving pleasure, moving its head side to side. Yes, it's Chefid. <laughs> and smiling until it detected my presence. It held its head to one side as if it were listening, then began to slowly back into my bathroom. I was unable to see its features clearly, but could determine it was a male. The outline of its body was lit up like lights. It was also cartoon-like. I ran back to the living room area where I slept for a long time thereafter. And that's it. That's the end. Wow, that's a cool one wonder if she was also writing a fiction fantasy novel at the time so her imagination was going when she went to the bathroom who's to say <clears throat> next tale is titled steven from genie champagne champagne i don't know an artist in kiwani wisconsin 1991 during the early winter months along the shores of Lake, 
Michigan, my friends and I ventured out to a historic hotel to have dinner. Much of the hotel was closed for the winter season, so only the bar and dining room areas were open that night. Following dinner, we all headed to the bar area. Despite the cold outside, things inside were noisy and excited because the Packers were winning that night. I left the lively scene to use the bathroom, and on my way back, decided to have a look around the rest of the beautiful Victorian-era hotel. Ooh, super haunted Victoria-era, come on, filled with ghosts. It had tall windows facing the lake that had just enough moonlight coming in through them so that I could see around the room. There were small tables and chairs arranged in cozy groups opposite the check-in desk with thick carpet that ran the length of the reception area. My attention was drawn ahead to the dark wooden staircase that led to the second floor. Looking back toward the bar area to make sure no one had noticed me missing, I ventured up the stairs. Upon reaching the first landing, I could make out rows of metal bed frames that lined both sides of the area, the mattresses rolled up for winter storage. Just as I was thinking I should get back to the bar, I noticed a light on around the corner at the far end of the landing area. I wondered why anyone would be up on this level and decided to investigate. The floor creaked under my feet as I tried to quietly maneuver to the light. I paused to make sure I didn't hear anyone coming to look for me. I rounded the corner to discover four steps leading to a beautiful heavy wooden door. I stood there amazed staring at the craftsmanship and construction. There was thick dust layered on the steps, and clearly visible in the dust were sm very small footprints. A lone child had recently been through this door. I hadn't seen any children in the hotel restaurant, and certainly there weren't any in the bar. I have goosebumps. I have goosebumps. What the heck is gonna happen? This lady is gonna open a door. Oh my god, freaking out. <sighs> I could only rationalize that the child was in some kind of trouble, so I picked up my foot to climb the stairs. Why would the kid be in trouble? It's probably just a kid sneaking around. So I picked up my foot to climb the stairs. Before my foot touched the first step, there was a very loud, startling noise as the heavy door exploded open. <gasps> it slammed against the wall, and the coldest wind I have ever felt rushed over me like a raging ice-cold river. I moved faster than I ever had before in my rush to get back to the bar in the crowd of people there. I was pale and trembling as I collapsed onto a seat. I couldn't blink, speak, or think clearly. The bartender leaned down in front of me and asked what had happened. I, 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 I know, I'm, 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 I'm not sure. I can't, I can't, I, I did, I, I continued stammering. When I looked into his eyes, I could see that he knew. He knew exactly what had happened to me. His face went white as his eyes grew round and opened wide as he said, You met Steven. Oh, dude! Oh, the ghost got a name. Steven? Who is Steven? Casting glances to either side. I mean, now this sounds like a written novel. Casting glances to either side. The bartender checked to see if anyone was listening. Now, this is me embellishing here. I mean, uh, if this was real, the guy wouldn't have looked side to side. No one wants to hear me talking about the ghost. Uh, who cares? This, I, I don't. I think this is written now. Oh darn it! That little that that little detail kind of killed it for me. I'm rooting the story. Here we go. Let's keep reading. Casting glances to either side, the bartender leaned closer to my ear. 
I just broke up with my girlfriend. I have been pretty bummed about it. Yesterday, I was on my hands and knees polishing the fancy glassware when I broke down. I started crying. I didn't want anyone to know, so I just stayed there on the floor. I felt someone rubbing my back telling me it was alright and not to cry. I felt so much better until I realized I was the only one in the hotel. The kitchen staff had gone into town to pick up food for dinner service. Things like this happen a lot. The rest of the staff are from this area and grew up with Stephen's story. I asked what the story was and the bartender continued. One night a couple arrived after dark with a little boy. They skipped out the next day without paying their bill. The manager went up to the room to see if they had left anything behind to pay what they had owed, only to find their little boy there. <gasps> Dead. <gasps> we decided to call him Stephen. So Stephen has never left the hotel. Oh my god, this is horrible. I feel like I read this one too. Oh my gosh, this story is insane. Oh my gosh, I just got goosebumps again. Oh my gosh, that one was a good one, but so sad and horrible that that happened. Uh, that's from Jeannie Champagne. Champagne, Champagne. Uh, that was in 1991 in Kewanee, Wisconsin. Oh my gosh, that story is nuts. Wow. Alright, now we're going to read one more story. The final story of this episode. After a commercial break. I'm sending the Edwards a card to thank them for the dinner. And to thank Elizabeth for loaning me a dress. After you spilled wine on me. And her tablecloth. And her rug. And her poodle, Snowflake. Mm -hmm. And to promise her that you won't try any more magic tricks in their house. Please forgive us, Elaine and Abracadabra. A Night to Remember deserves a card from Hallmark. The place to go when you care enough to send the very best. Thank you for watching if you're watching this on YouTube, and thank you for listening if you're listening on Spotify. Hopefully the edit uh, isn't so bad. It doesn't cut too much, and it's not jarring and hard to watch because I do mess up a lot, and uh, I have to make it sound and look all right. So thanks for checking out this trial pilot episode, if you will. This last tale is titled, It Slithered Into the Room. This is from Margaret Iyer, retired, St. Louis, Missouri, 1966. Ooh, an old one. In 1966, my parents bought an old Victorian home. My father was going through the house, making sure everything was in working order. And the last place to check was the attic. The attic was accessed through a secret door in an upstairs bedroom closet. While in the attic, he found it to be musty and hot. Upon crawling further, he suddenly felt an ice-cold chill, and startlingly, his head was pushed into the wall. <gasps> After leaving the attic, and without saying anything for several months, other members of the family experienced other parallel activities. Oh my gosh, they got a ghost. One evening, my parents were having their own problem with the ghost. It called out my mother's name for her to come to the top of the stairway. Dad told her not to go. After calling her a second time, oh my god, the spirit returned to the room and shook the bed violently. 
oh my god like this is crazy i have huge goosebumps i have to pause this is insane so you're telling me they're the, sitting there and they hear someone say sandra or whatever this lady's name is and they're like oh my god sandra sandra do not go to that ghost sandra ignore the ghost and then all of a sudden tickle, 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 the ghost freaking shakes bed i would have jumped out the window i would have moved out that second that's insane that's too much holy crap this happened to these people it was a long night for our family who knows what would have happened to my mother if she had gone to the top of the stairs she would have just shaken her there at the top of the stairs <laughs> i mean what can the ghost do I guess we don't know. We'll never find out. Later that night, through the slightly ajar door of the room my sister and I shared, there flowed a bluish-gray mist. Oh, it's always a mist. Ghosts love doing mist. It slithered into the room and across the ceiling toward my sister. I watched in horror until I couldn't stand it anymore. Finally, pulling the sheet up over my head, unable to sleep the rest of the night. Wait, you didn't save your sister? The ghost mist was going for your sister, and you go, yikes. <laughs> oh, what a good sister. I laid there petrified, afraid that if I removed the sheet and came face to face with it, I would die of fright. Wow, that's a good one. That was, it slithered into the room. Margaret Ayer, St. Louis, Missouri, 1966. Oh, wow, I like that one a lot. Uh, Victorian homes, always haunted you're always gonna get a ghost I don't know if my mom and dad's house is Victorian uh, 1838 I think is when it was made uh, or maybe I'm remembering that's when Sturbridge Village which is an area of New England where like they do like pilgrim stuff um, anyway I can't remember but yeah that was a good one some pretty good ones this week thank you everyone for watching and or listening i appreciate you uh sitting through this pilot test episode and doing things a little bit differently uh this time uh the light might have just changed uh the last like uh last couple of paragraphs of this story because uh, i did make an edit i had to dump all the footage and then finish this up so the computer's on casting light on me just addressing that things might be looking weird and not great also i don't think this footage is super clear because i have it a low light in here uh, for dramatic effect and uh, this camera's not great so anyways also my toaster is beeping out there i don't think you can hear it because i think this mic actually does a pretty good job um, anyways a lot of testing going on this episode i appreciate you watching and or listening uh, i'll do uh, four stories i think next time instead of a bunch of short ones like that but uh, it was cool to get through a bunch of them i hope you enjoyed it thank you for listening to grave stories everybody i'll see you next time Bye-bye.